before we get started in Romans chapter 12, I just want to do a little bit of house, uh, house cleaning, if you will, from last Sunday. A couple questions popped up throughout the week through different people, different sources, and I just kind of wanted to address some of these here real quick, so that way, hopefully, we can be on the same page with everything. Um, one of the things that came up about last week was this idea about a Dawn getting a secular job. No, that is not in the works for Dawn to get a secular job. Uh, she homeschools five kids. She's raising six boys. So uh, she's busy enough as that is. Uh, also came up the idea about um, our house. We mentioned about you know possibly you know, selling our house. I want, I want to stress this. I want to stress this. This is something we are praying about. This is a personal conviction for us. I do not want anybody to feel that burden or pressure on them. You know, somebody came up and said, well, here's the issue, though. If you, if you say something like that, it makes it sound like, well, if James feels led, maybe then we should all feel led to go down that path. This is something that Dawn, the Lord has laid on Dawn in my heart. I want to make that perfectly clear. I joked Wednesday night, if that's the way the system worked, you guys would all would be Atlanta Braves fans because that's who I like, and that would trickle down. That obviously hasn't. This is a personal conviction for us. I want to make sure that that comes across clear doing that. Uh, this, one, this one is serious, and I do mean this. I had somebody come up and ask, um, seriously, and I want to address this. No, I'm not trying to get a pay raise. I'm not, I'm not trying to get a pay raise. I want to make sure the church will always have a pastor. I want to address that. The church will always have a pastor. And somebody came up to me, and I appreciated them saying this, that it's okay to be very passionate about things, but they said last Sunday, it's like, boy, James, you, you kind of come across a little pushy. And I just want to tell you guys here, love you, and I'm sorry for that. That's never my intention to come across as pushy. You know, I firmly believe you want to love the sheep and lead them by loving them and not come across as beating. Very passionate about some stuff. The Lord is really stirring a lot of things in my heart. And I, if I came across harshly, I am wrong for that. I'm sorry. And then you know me. Some of you have been coming out here for, for 20 plus years. I've been coming out here for 20 plus years. You know my heart. I love you guys. I love this place. So I didn't want to come across the wrong way. And I just wanted to address that stuff. The reason we bring these things up is because I firmly believe we are a body of Christ. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. And for many of you, when I came in out here, I was 22 years old. You've watched me grow up. Well, I haven't grown up. Um, I'm the same height I was. Still waiting for that growth spurt. Um, you've seen Dawn and I. You've seen us have children. We live a very public life in front of you and our family does and our kids. And so that's why we present a lot of this stuff to say, this is what's on our heart. This is what we're praying. And if that came across the wrong way, boy, I love you guys and I'm sorry. I just want to address that. So we're in Romans 12 this morning, and I am so excited about what Romans 12 has to say. I, I've been looking forward to this message because this Romans 12, the last time I taught this, we, we called this the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because what this is, is just these little short little things that are just great little points. I love the book of Proverbs because you can read the book of Proverbs and there's this, this one verse that is powerful and impacts you and just hits you. And that's exactly what you need to hear. Well, it's, this is what happens with this. There's these little statements. And this little statement may be exactly what you needed to hear today. Or maybe something that you need to share with somebody else. And they're like little daggers, and I mean this in a good way, that cut right to the issue. And so I hope you're as blessed by this as I am. We're going to actually read verses 9 through 21 together in its whole, in its entirety. We're going to come back and break this up. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast. 
steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can you imagine if we would just really live those verses out, how different everything would be? So simple, so straightforward, but yet so difficult to apply to our lives. Let's just look at the first one. Let love be without hypocrisy. Depending on your translations, let love be sincere. Good old King James. Dissimulation. Do not simulate love is what it's saying there. I like how the New Living Translation says it. It says it pretty straightforwardly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Sincere love. Think about how God has defined love. He spent a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 defining what love is. Jesus, when talking about the disciples, he said, you will know you are my disciples. They will know you are my disciples by your love. Your love shows that you're a disciple of Christ. And in 1 John 4, God describes himself as love. That is the great place to start. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be sincere. Let it be real. That word hypocrisy, obviously hypocrite, in the Greek literally means two-faced. It's the word they used for actors back during Bible times because the actors were literally two-faced, not in a bad way, but they would put on a certain face when they went to go do their shows or plays, and then they would take the face off. They were literally two-faced. Well, what it means for us is that we're two-faced. From an outside perspective, we put on love. It looks like we're loving. It looks like we're caring, but deep down inside in our hearts, are we really doing it? Boy, if you look at it, God is always saying, how's the heart? It's not the outward appearance that I want, the Lord says. It's your heart that I want. And, and just honestly ask yourself, is there a sincere love in me? And that's something I've really been praying about. Lord, is there really a sincere love? Because we're so good at just showing up. We're so good at just saying the right things. But Lord, I want to love you and I want to love your people sincerely. That's difficult to do. Because we have good days, we have bad days, we have moments where we don't care. What do we do during that time? I've shared this story with you before, I absolutely love it. John Corson, one of my favorite pastors, he told the story about this phrase where the Bible says, put on Christ. And some of you have heard me tell this story over the years. John Corson tells a story about how him and his one son were going into the supermarket to do the classic quick trip. You're just going to go grab a gallon of milk. Just That's all you're going to do. Get in, get out. The son knew it had been a bad day, it had been a rough day, it had been a long day. Get in, get out, go home. John Corson goes in with his son. As they're going towards the milk aisle, he runs into somebody from church, and next thing you know, has a 20-minute impromptu counseling session right there in front of the bread. The son on the way out says to his dad, Dad, he knew he was tired, he knew he wanted to go home, but he saw how his dad responded. He said to his dad, he goes, Dad, was that a put-on? And John Corson tells the story saying, he thought about it for a second. He goes, yeah, it was a put on because I put on Jesus Christ. And that's the truth. Sometimes you and I are struggling. 
Sometimes you and I are having a rough day, and this idea of a sincere love without hypocrisy, I can't do that. But I can put on Christ and have an agape, a God-given love then for people, because I can put on Christ just as the Bible tells me to, and then I can love sincerely. So once we get the sincere love down, what about the next thing? Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Abhor. Abhor means to literally have horror of. It means to detest. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we find sin detestable? Do we hate sin and its effects like God hates sin? See, in the culture we live in, boy, sin is all over. It's, it's on our computer. It's on our TV. You can't even stand in the checkout at Walmart and look at the magazines. You know, I want to know what Bat Boy's doing, according to the Inquirer, and I can't anymore because there's just all this junk going around. So you can't do this. It's just evils everywhere. Do we find that sin detestable or we become so desensitized to it that it just no longer affects us? Ah, oh, that's just the way it is. Now, we have to find the balance here because in Romans 5, 8, God makes it very clear. God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. We've got to be careful that we have a holy hatred of sin and its effects because it is just a, a cancer that destroys. But at the same time, do realize that we want to love these people and point them towards Jesus Christ. And we have to be careful with that because it's sometimes hard to find that defining line between that. Because sin is so detestable. Do we have a horror of it? Do we look at it and say, I hate what this is doing to that family. I hate what this sin is doing to my loved ones. But Lord, I still want to love them in Jesus Christ. So abhor what is evil. Do you realize how difficult evil is as a word to define? I mean, we all know what evil is. But how do you define evil? So I looked it up and I'm trying to define evil in the original Greek. And it's difficult to define I define it as this, things that are hurtful to us spiritually by God's definition. Things that are hurtful to us spiritually by God's definition. See, the problem is you may find something evil that I don't or vice versa in this world we live in. Evil has become very subjective. What some people says is right, some people say is wrong. Some people say what is wrong, other people say it's right. We have to get back to God's definition of what is right and wrong. And when you go back to God's definition of what is evil, we will see that all those things that he said are wrong, they are hurtful. And they can hurt us spiritually. And so God says, detest those things. Hate those things. Because those will come back to hurt you. Instead, cling, cleave to what is good. That word cling or cleave, it means to be glued, cemented together. So you put this verse together. I sincerely want to love you, Lord, in my heart. I want to hate those things that are evil, that are causing harm to people. And I want to glue myself to everything that is good. What a great first verse. What a great place to just start, Lord. Everything evil I want to get rid of. And everything good I want to cling to and cleave to. And Lord, help me to love you sincerely. That right there is you and the Lord. Verse 10, now let's take it from you and the Lord and apply it to other people. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Kindly affectionate, genuinely affectionate, devoted in love. This idea of truly caring for the brethren, the body of Christ. 
1 Peter 1.22 says this, if you're a note taker. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Listen to that last part again. Sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Starting to put it all together. Sincere love, a fervent pure heart. Lord, let me go out and serve the body of Christ now. How can I do that? And what do I need to do in verse 10? Honor them. Honor means to give value to one another. To give value. That means I see the value in you. I got a little phrase I like to use. I like to call it this. I said, I always tell myself, do I love the little toes? And let me get this. This is where it comes from. There was a pastor's conference a few years ago. The guy did a teaching on honoring and valuing those people in the body of Christ that you may not give a lot of honor and value to. The little toes. And so it's the little toes that you don't think about. And it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that every body part has honor. The eye, the thumb, their foot, etc. And it says in 1 Corinthians 12 that sometimes those parts of the body that we deem less honorable actually are more honorable than what we can imagine. They're more important. So he used this teaching point of loving the little toes. And he says, look across your body of Christ, your congregation. And do you see somebody that's a little toe that you have overlooked that you need to honor, you need to value more. That really hit me. So I just started making that a part of my prayer life. Just, you know, Lord, help me to love the little toes. Just help me to love the little toes. Well, I, I was praying one time. And I was praying with Dawn. And I just started praying, Lord, help me to love the little toes. Help me to love the little toes. We get done praying and Dawn's like, what are you talking about? What, what is these little toes that you're... Like, little toes, the people that we don't deem a lot of honor. Okay, oh, that makes sense. She goes, I thought you were just... I didn't even know what you were praying for. You know what I mean? Love the little toes. So if you ever hear me in conversation in the hallway at church, and I'm like, hey, we got to make sure we love the little toes, don't think I've lost it, okay? It's meaning looking at those people that we have a tendency to overlook and say, Lord, do I honor them? Do I love them the way you want me to? Because we want to love the little toes. So verse 9 Personal, you, the Lord. Verse 10, start bringing it in now to the body of Christ. Kindly affectionate to one another. Brotherly love. How are we supposed to do this? Verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, rejoicing. Excuse me. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Verse 11, what type of love? How is it supposed to look when I love my brethren? Diligent, fervent, serving the Lord. That word for fervent, zealous, enthusiastic. Here's the problem. I've seen people zealous and enthusiastic, but not about the things of God. I've seen people diligent, but not about the things of God. You want to take all three of those and put it together. That's what it's trying to tell you there in verse 11, is that you're diligent, enthusiastically serving the Lord in spirit. We need all three. Because if you don't have all three, you can get a lot accomplished, and it can look good for a while, but it won't be as effective or as efficient as it could be. Diligently, enthusiastically, in spirit, serving the Lord. Like I said, you can have one or two, but you need to put all three together. There's the church in Ephesus mentioned in Revelation chapter 3 that had a couple of those. Remember what Jesus said to them? He says, I know your labor, I know your works. He makes a list of everything they're doing good for the Lord. But then Jesus gives them this kicker. He goes, but you've left your first love. Boy, how often can we do that? 
we are diligent, we're enthusiastic, but we really don't have our eyes on where the Lord is supposed to be. Or maybe we have our eyes where the Lord is supposed to be, but then we're not diligent and enthusiastic to get to that point. We need all three together in spirit, as it says right there. If you remember correctly, a couple weeks ago when we met over at Malenta because the parking lot was flooded, we talked about the whole Mary Martha thing. And about how Martha was a worker. She was diligent. There's no doubt about that. And from an outside perspective, Martha sure looks like she's getting a whole lot more done for the kingdom. What's Mary doing? She's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping. But Jesus said, Mary chose the better thing. Just ask yourself this. You can be enthusiastic. You can be diligent. But you still got your eyes where they're supposed to be. And when you have all three together, that's when it comes together. And what a blessing that is. Hey, verse 12. If you are having a tough day, a tough week, a tough month, a tough season of life, verse 12 is for you. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. That's what you need. Whatever you're facing, rejoicing in hope, the hope that the Lord has a plan, the hope that the Lord is working this out, the hope that the Lord is moving. Patient in tribulation. Lord, I do not like this. This thorn in my life is hurting me, but I'm going to be patient as you move and work. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Never stop praying, Lord. I'm going to keep giving this over to you for strength, for comfort, for encouragement. If you're having a tough time, verse 12 is for you. Maybe you're in a good season of life. Amen. Enjoy. Verse 12 is the verse to give to those that are hurting. Print that out. Put that on your fridge. Pray over that. Look at the pure simplicity of this. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Now, continuing on how we're supposed to apply this as a body of Christ, look at verse 13. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Boy, that, this verse really hit me. I thought I really understood this verse. And I started reading some commentaries on this. And it really started hitting about what this passage really means. Distributing to the needs of the saints. What that literally means is not just giving to them what they need. It means coming alongside them and ministering with them as you do it. We, we have a very giving society. There's no doubt about that. But our society likes to give but not get their hands dirty. What this passage is saying is distributing to the needs of the saints is you actually get involved in their life. Rather than just giving them the tools or the supplies they need, you go to them and you say, I want to minister alongside of you because that's where real ministry happens. Not just give it to you and never have to worry about it again, but give it to you and get involved. Christianity is messy. And part of Christianity is getting involved with those things that sometimes we would maybe want to stay away from. But we want to distribute to the needs of the saints and give into hospitality. Boy, this one really hit me too. Give into hospitality literally means love to strangers. See, when we think of hospitality, we normally think of somebody who's obviously very hospitable. They're, they're open. They hey, come on over, hang out, have a meal with us. And that's true. But this literally means love to strangers. And don't take this the wrong way. This is not you meet somebody at McDonald's and say, hey, do you want to come over to my house? That's kind of creepy. That's not what we're talking about. Love to strangers is maybe you're looking around the body of Christ and you see that person and maybe you last week just shook hands with them once and you're like, you know what, I don't know them. Yeah, I'm going to invite them over. Maybe we'll have a meal. We'll have that time to get together. Love to strangers. 
Hospitality. See, it's different than fellowship. See, fellowship is a completely different word. Fellowship in the Greek is koinonia, which means community in Christ. We're really good at fellowship. I know you, you know me, I love you, you love me. Hey, let's get the kids together, let's get together for a meal. And that's fellowship. Hey, encourage that. That's wonderful, that's great. Hospitality, though, is I don't know you. I don't know you real well, and I want to get to know you better. Would you like to come over? And that's part of the body of Christ and how that's supposed to work. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. See, I wish we could stop at verse 13. Because really verses 9 through 13 are just good, practical, how we're supposed to do this. Verse 9, Lord, do I have a sincere love? Am I hating what is evil? Am I clinging to what is good? Verse 10, am I loving the brethren and honoring them? Am I being diligent and fervent and serving you and rejoicing and helping people out? Verse 13, it'd be great to stop right there. See, from verse 14 on, we get to all the difficult part now. Because this is the hard part of ministry and Christianity and church. Sometimes we don't all get along. And what happens then? Verse 14. You've tried to distribute to the needs of the saints. You've tried to be hospitable. You've tried to be patient, loving, caring. And it kind of all blew up in your face. So verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's tough to do. That's really tough to do because when we're hurt, sometimes our reaction is we want to hurt back. And really what the Lord is saying right here is, no, bless them. That word bless is a really interesting word. It's where we get our English word eulogize. It literally means this. To praise, celebrate with praises, to invoke with blessings. What that word is saying is when somebody curses you, persecutes you, then your heart, you're supposed to say, Lord, bless them today. Lord, obviously they're having a problem with joy. Give them joy. Lord, obviously something's hurting their heart. Lord, I pray that your love and grace would speak to their heart and help them through this. Lord, obviously they have a lot of discontentment and anger in their life. Lord, is there a verse I can give them? Lord, be with them. Bless them. Help them. Invoke praises on them. I've come to this conclusion sometimes when I'm really struggling with an individual. Lord, I want to thank you for what they do. I want to thank you for these things that they have done. Now, what happens is someone at the, I have nothing good to say about them. Well, Jesus loves them. That's something good you can say. Lord, I thank you for dying on the cross for their sins. Well, I'm going to bless them right into the ditch. How about that? No, no, no. We struggle with this. We struggle with this a lot. First Peter goes into more detail. And when you listen to these words, if you have somebody that's causing hurt and harm into your life through words and actions, and you listen to this and you hear this, you're like, oh, boy, this is tough to apply. Finally, all of you, this is First Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you, we have one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. See, Peter is saying, listen, you want to return evil for evil, reviling for reviling. They said this about me, I'm going to say this about them. They did this to me, I'm going to do this to them. No. Bless them. Eulogize them. 
Pray for them. Jesus said this, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Let's read that one more time. This is Matthew 5, 44. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And Jesus lived that example. Now, at this time, we usually think of something like this, or somebody thinking, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what they've said to me. You don't know what I've put up with. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're going to get back to that one. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That verse is actually harder to do than what it sounds. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What that verse is saying is this. If you come to me and you're having a bad day and, and, and you're weeping and the sense of your heart is hurting, well, then I, I want to meet you where you're at and love you where you're at. If you're rejoicing, well, then I want to rejoice right along with you. I get a lot of phone calls. I never know what's at the end of that call. Is that going to be somebody weeping over a hurt or a loss? Well, then I want to be able to weep with them when they contact me. Maybe it's somebody that's rejoicing. God has really moved in their life. Well, then I want to rejoice as soon as I answer the call, regardless of what going on in my life. And that's what makes it difficult. Because so often, if I'm rejoicing and God is good, we don't want to be around those that are weeping. And if we're weeping and we want to have a little pity party for ourselves, we don't want to be around those that are rejoicing. I find it easier sometimes to weep with those who weep rather than rejoice with those who rejoice. Because what happens with rejoicing is sometimes it turns into jealousy. I'm so sick and tired of hearing how good your life is. God has blessed you with that great job, that great spouse, those great kids, that great house, that great health. And it turns into a little bit of a jealousy rather than rejoicing with those who rejoice. We had something pop up this week. We have really ingrained this passage into our kids. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. If Tyrus, number five, our three-year-old, if he gets hurt... Weep with those who weep. Somebody, they go grab a toy for him. They go grab a blanket for him. If he hit his mouth, they go grab a popsicle. This idea of weeping with those who weep. Well, we we had 4-H judging this week. And with the 4-H judging, Elias and Judah took very similar projects. They were both an electricity project. Not the same one, but similar projects. Judah did really good and got second place. Elias did good and got third place. So when I told the boys, hey, look what happened. Judah, you got second. Elias, you got third. Judah, you got to know Judah. I said, Judah, if you would have done one spot better, you could have gone to state. Judah's like, I am so glad I did not get first. He did not want to go to state. That's Judah. Elias. How did Judah do one spot better than me? Buddy, it was different projects, different judging. I know, I know, but I'm older. How did he do one spot better? Elias, rejoice with those who rejoice. So we've ingrained this into him. So when I told the boys this, they're having this little conversation. It's Elias, Judah, Kenan. They're all sitting on the couch. Before I could even say the rejoice with those who rejoice, Kenan, Kenan says, guys, rejoice with those who rejoice. No, rejoice with those who rejoice. But then he said this, and sweep with those who sweep. <laughs> I said, Kenan, what did you say? Sweep with those who sweep. Kenan, it's weep with those who weep. And light went on. I just started thinking about this during the 830 service when I told this story. This is true. Anytime someone has to go sweep, Kenan goes to the pantry and gets out a sweeper. He does. I just started thinking about that. And, and there's a, not 
not too long ago, one of the boys was sweeping the living room. And Kenan comes through with the sweeper. I said, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm going to go sweep the hallway. And I thought, thanks, buddy. I think he really thought it was sweep with those who sweep. Really not a spiritual point there. I just wanted to share that story with you. It's tough to do that. It's tough to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It is difficult. Because it has to put aside our emotions and our feelings at that moment. And say, I love you enough to put your emotions before mine. That's hard to do sometimes. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Harmony, we're all equal. We're not above anything. We can serve, we can love. God, whatever you've gifted and called me to do, that's what I want to do. Now, remember I said store in your memory banks. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Yeah, but you don't know. Okay, let's bring that out now. Let's just address this. Let's address those people that have said things, those people that have done things, those people that have hurt you. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men, if it is possible. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will reap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That word overcome in verse 21 means literally to be victorious. What verse 21 is saying there is do not let evil be victorious in your life, but be victorious over evil with good. See, I've seen people that went down this path of verse 17, repaying evil for evil. I've seen people take vengeance themselves, and they have been overcome by evil. There's the ones that walk in bitterness, always angry, always upset, It's really difficult to talk to them because you never know what's going to set them off. Evil was victorious in their life. They've been overcome by it, by hurt and pain that people have done. And usually you hear that, yeah, but you don't know. No, no, I don't know. I know what they did to Christ, though, and Christ said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. See, verse 17 is pretty straightforward. Repay no one evil for evil. You don't want to get into that. You don't want to get into, they said something about me, I'm going to say something about them. They hurt my feelings, so I'm going to hurt them back. No one wins with that. What happens, though, if you have that person, and you're trying? I mean, you're, you're trying. You're, you're trying to do what's biblical. And the Bible says if anybody has anything against you, you go to them and you make it right. So you, you try to contact them. You're, you're praying over it. You're fasting over it. They won't talk to you. Or you don't even know everything that's going on. So you're going to try to do this. You're going to try to contact them. <sighs> Nothing. Verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. What that verse is also saying is sometimes it's not possible. And it's not because it's a failing on your part, but it takes two people to bridge that communication gap. And some of you here today, you're probably really hurt because you really want to have peace with somebody. And you've tried, you've prayed, you've fasted, you've, you've sought, and there's nothing. As much as depends on you, if it is possible, live peaceably. You can't make them 
I know one of my biggest hurts in ministry out here sometimes is you want to build the bridge of peace with people, but they don't want to build the bridge back. There's nothing you can do. You pray, you fast, you do what you can, but ultimately you have to give it over to the Lord. And you can't get angry about it, because look at verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. See, I want to avenge myself sometimes. I want to step up. I want to say, you know what? I have the right. I want to vindicate my right. I have the right to be angry. I have the right to respond. I have the right to hold a grudge. I have the right, you know, you fill in the blank. And really what this is saying right here in verse 19 is, no, you don't. You give it over to the Lord. We let go of all of our rights or presumed rights when we get saved. See, when we get saved, we become a bondservant, the Bible says. Bondservant. That is a term they use for the under rowers. You know, this idea of the lowest of the load. I'm, I'm a slave, a servant of the Lord. And I am choosing to say, Lord, I give my rights up to you. This person has said this. This person has done this. I feel hurt. I feel wronged. I feel angry. But I'm going to do the biblical thing. I'll reach out, I'll pray, I'll fast, I'll forgive. But Lord, i got to eventually just give it all over to you. Because I can't carry this. Because if I carry it, it's going to destroy me. And there's something that we like to use, this term called justifiable anger. What they have done has justified my response. So when God says love everybody, yeah, but there's a limit to that. When God says forgive, yeah, but there's a limit to that. But the Bible says no. See, why do we have a hard time forgiving? See, I think sometimes when we forgive, it makes it feel like what they did was okay. So if I forgive you, I'm saying what you did was okay. Your words, your actions are okay. That's not what the word forgive means. Forgive means that means I'm going to let it go so it no longer has power over me. Your words and actions can still be wrong, but I have let it go. I have forgiven you, and I've given it over to the Lord because it's no longer going to control me or carry me. And I see so many people letting their emotions and their lives be controlled by what other people have done to them where Jesus just says, let it go. What are we supposed to do? Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. We're supposed to love him and love him a lot. Now, don't take things that the Bible is saying and add to it. There's godly wisdom. The Bible makes it clear we're supposed to be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. Let the Lord lead. Each situation is unique. But sometimes the Lord is saying, you know what the best thing in this situation is to let that relationship go. And sometimes you have to stop and you have to say, okay, Lord, I, I have a peace with this but there's nothing more I can do about it. But if the Lord has laid that person still in your heart for peace, feed your enemy, give them that drink, love them, and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what your word says because the result is verse 21. I don't want to be overcome by evil. I don't want evil to be victorious in my life. I want to be victorious with good. I want to do the right thing. And it's hard to do, especially when we're hurt and when we're wronged. Because when we're hurt and wronged, Man, that's when the ugly side of us can come out pretty quickly. And we really don't know sometimes what we're really like on the inside until someone treats us that way. I heard a pastor say one time, 
you really don't know if you're a servant and someone treats, until someone treats you like a servant. Because when somebody treats you like a servant, you'll really respond the way you are in your heart. You know, sometimes we think, I'm a real loving guy, I'm a real forgiving guy, until sometimes a situation happens that really is just holding a spiritual mirror in front of your life that makes you stop and say, maybe I'm not really the person I thought I was. And going back to our first point, all the way back to verse 9, Lord, let my love be sincere, not two-faced, not hypocritical, not dissimulation, but to really be sincere, Lord. Because when you have been touched by what Christ has done in your life, it will affect the way you look and treat others as well. Just imagine if we took verses 9 through 21 and said, Okay, Lord, man, we're going to apply this to all we do and say. How different would the church look, would our lives look, would our actions look? It's difficult to do. But what I encourage you to do is this. As you go home today, it is so easy to sit here, listen, good point, Holy Spirit, I'll think about that. And then we go home and we don't pray it into our lives. What I'd really encourage you to do is as you go home this evening, before you go to bed for a time of evening devotions, just take this passage in Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, and just reread it. And really just pray over this and just say, Lord, help me to apply this. I firmly believe one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, it says in John 14, is that he will bring back to remembrance. He will bring to remembrance the things that Christ has said. And I really do believe as you pray through this, all of a sudden you're going to have these people laid on your heart. Lord, maybe I'm really not loving them sincerely. Lord, maybe I'm really holding a grudge against them. Uh, Lord, maybe I, I am not as forgiving as I think. Maybe I could distribute to the needs of the saints in this area. And just let the Spirit lead you and guide you. And I think you'll really be surprised at what the Lord brings to light. And you can say, okay, I want to do this. I want to be that person, Lord, through you. Through you. Remember back to that verse. Oh, where was it? Verse 11. We can be diligent, we can be fervent, but it has to be diligent, fervent, serving the Lord. Bring it all together, Lord, and say, this is the person that I want to be. Marv, everyone come forward here for the final song. Boy, I just want to encourage you. we got a lot going on this week with VBS. Just prayerfully consider how you can get involved. Maybe work schedules, life does not allow you to help out. Hey, that's fine. Every day, just really pray from 9.30 to 12. For those kids to really know Christ. If you got time this afternoon, hey, feel free to pop on out here. Liz can answer any questions you have. Don't forget a prayer time tonight at 7 if you can make it. And just, let's really give this over to the Lord. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you. We want to be this. We, we really want what this passage says. We want to live it in all that we say and all that we do.